The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's crypto carnage on Wall Street today. Bitcoin sinking to a six-week low in the rest of the space following soon. We will tell you what's behind the big sell-off and if any of our traders are buying this dip. Plus, one Wall Street strategist says Bitcoin's bloodbath could hit stocks. Just how bad could it get? Chris Harvey from Wells Fargo will be here to explain why he is so worried. And later, is this the beginning of the end for GE? The stock getting slammed as the CEO hints at a breakup. We'll bring you the latest details. But first, we start off with today's huge reversal. The Dow surging nearly 300 points, breaking through the key 26,000 milestone before taking a turn for the worst. And triggering that reversal, perhaps worry seeping out of Washington, D.C. Eamon Javers is at the White House with all those details. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. Reporters are fanned, up, uh, fanned out across Capitol Hill today uh, trying to get Steve Bannon on camera to answer a question and solve a mystery here, which is, did Steve Bannon answer the questions of the House Intelligence Committee or not? We know he was up there. He arrived earlier this morning, uh, and we, there are reports uh, that he was asked by the White House to not answer questions pertaining to the White House. Of course, the most interesting questions that the Intelligence Committee will have for Steve Bannon relate to the White House. So the question is, did he or did he not uh, answer those questions? Uh, later on this afternoon, the White House put out a statement not exactly denying that they asked Bannon not to talk. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, was asked about why the White House wouldn't want Steve Bannon to talk, even though she would not specifically say that they asked him not to talk. Here's how Sarah Huckabee Sanders answered that question. That's something that I would refer to uh, attorneys on that matter, and specifically Steve Bannon's attorneys. Look, we've been completely uh, cooperative throughout this entire process. We're going to continue to be cooperative, but we're also going to maintain some of the executive privileges here at the White House. So you heard Sarah Huckabee Sanders there uh, invoking the words executive privileges, but not necessarily the White House invoking executive privilege as a formal legal matter. There's definitely some legal wrangling going on here, uh, Melissa, but what we don't know are the answers to some key questions. One is, uh, did the White House actually ask Steve Bannon not to talk? And two is, did Steve Bannon talk or not? We might get the answers to those questions later on this evening, so stay tuned. Are there grounds, Eamon, for somebody who is subpoenaed to refuse to answer questions? Uh, someone who's subpoenaed could refuse to answer questions on certain grounds, but my understanding here is that if he gets a subpoena from the Intelligence Committee, uh, he would be able to talk. And I, I will have to talk to some constitutional lawyers about this, because uh, under executive privilege, there may be a way uh, for the White House to assert that his conversations with the president himself uh, would be protected. Uh, we'll have to get the, let the lawyers sort all that out, but uh, it's not clear that Steve Bannon uh, decided not to talk because he's been up there for several hours. So he's been saying something uh, for some period of time on Capitol Hill this afternoon. Right. 
Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers at the White House for us. A lot of questions here, and as you can see, the market sell-off accelerated right after the media reports Eamon was just talking about uh, hit the wires, and the sell-off seemed to bottom out when the White House released a statement clarifying those reports. So while it seems like nothing can take down this market, what has caused panic, albeit temporary selling in the past year, is the chaos in D.C., whether it be the Comey firing, we saw the market reaction to that, the erroneous Brian Ross tweet about Michael Flynn, we saw the reaction to that. Now... We should make clear here, this is not about politics. We're not having a political conversation. But clearly, the market is reacting to what is going on in politics. It seems to be worried about this. So the question tonight is, is the investigation into Trump the only thing that can wreck this Trump rally? Grasso. Yes. I, it, in a one-word answer, it's yes. And I think that all the things that you just listed as the reasons why the stock market has sold off in the past, this is a real personal issue. He's got, he knows where the skeletons are. He knows where the bodies are. He Bannon. Knows, Bannon. Mm -hmm. So if he starts singing, the market starts sinking, and that is end of story for the market. You will sell first, ask questions later. He's already turned on Trump. He's already turned on Trump Jr. So we don't know what he's going to do. It's a big if if he decides to sing. But if he does, it's lights out for the market. I, don't, I feel like having gotten the tax deal done, that puts a floor under the market. I don't know that it's an at-the-money put, per se, but I do think there is a big structural shift that's happened. This tax deal is bigger than what happens in the Trump administration. I, obviously, it would be a big, you know, that's a big story. But I think that businesses around the world are growing, and that's helping our economy here, and that's helping U.S. stocks, it's helping stocks around the world, and the tax break is real, and it's done. So it's the economy stupid. Not calling you stupid, but I mean, <laughs> saying that, that that trumps all, basically. Many nights, many nights <laughs> in this desk, Mel, you could. Um, look, I, I think you have a case here where if you think about the dynamics that, that Karen's talking about, if anything, um, I think a lot of companies haven't given you the full insight into where the tax deal and what it does for them. They, they're not really incented to, to try to drive up the bar. Uh, I think from the consumer perspective, look, we've had you know, roughly a, a, over a billion in, in terms of handouts to the consumer, and they're going to start to see some of this come through in terms of their, uh, in terms of their wage gains and what happens in mid-February. I think it's all about the market itself has taken itself. There's been, I'm not, I don't need to call it euphoria. This market has moved in one direction for five, six, seven straight sessions. That's what happened today. That's the story. We're also just getting into what will be some very busy week when it comes to earnings. Got bank earnings, obviously. So one of the things we've said for a while is I, I, bullish in the market, but what's the, what is going to be an indicator to suggest that maybe we're running out of steam? And one of those indicators potentially could be big update in the market on a day where the VIX is up big as well. And look at what we saw earlier today. The market was obviously up a couple hundred Dow handles, but the VIX was up all day. The VIX yeah. didn't open lower and close higher. The VIX was elevated all day. Again, one day is not a big deal. We've seen things like this before. But if you're looking for the, and I said it just before with Steve on the closing bell, this is the closest reversal day we've had to February 10, 2016 since effectively that day. And if you recall that day, the S&P traded down to 1810, reversed, closed higher in the day. It was the same day, by the way, that Jamie Dimon announced he was personally buying J.P. Morgan right. stock. Deutsche Bank did a bond offering that day, and we had some headlines out of uh, the UAE about oil. All those things lined up, that put in the bottom for the last two years. So I'm not suggesting the headlines are similar the other way. But again, the price action we saw today was eerily reminiscent of that. So was this Mueller-Bannon stuff and the seeming reaction we saw in the markets, is that just an excuse at this point to well, sell a market a, that may be never, overextended? It's never just one thing. You have the right. big round number of 2,800. Everyone talks about the market being overvalued. I think it was a perfect storm for the market today. 
The outside reversal day, though, tells me that we closed above the level we needed to. So it tells me that they want to wait and see. If Bannon's story continues in the next couple of days and we start to hear that he actually did speak, then you could see this market fall in a precipitous fashion. Doesn't that only matter if one thinks that Trump's presidency is in jeopardy, i.e., well, I, I think that he knows, kind well, of wouldn't stuff, it be his presidency in jeopardy? If, if he really comes out and speaks what, he, what everyone thinks he knows about, I think the presidency is in jeopardy. I think that's what we're all talking about, or at least I am. Well, I think the one thing that is sort of built in and isn't there yet is infrastructure. And so you've had a lot of these industrials and ones that be beneficiaries of an infrastructure bill. Maybe that's starting to get priced in. I think that would sort of come off the table. But one other thing, I know we're going to touch on it later, but the big move in Bitcoin, the big move in cryptocurrencies today, that's now a factor in Although overall markets. Although they close markets. near and, and, you know, at least we're, I'm looking at the aftermarket. So maybe, maybe a, you know, ultimately we got a case where I think you found some leveling. I think the risk appetite for markets, though, right now is a case where other high-flying stocks, though, um, airlines got dumped, industrial metals got dumped. When you, you had upgrades today by Deutsche across the industrial metal space, and a lot of those names finished down. So uh, the high flyers, I think the less attractive quality in terms of management and earnings stories were the ones that were sold the hardest because those are the ones that moved the most. What will be key tomorrow in tomorrow's session for you? For me, it's yeah. the VIX, how the VIX trades tomorrow. The Russell had a huge reversal in the Russell, yeah. all-time high in the Russell, reverse, close lower, not on its lows, but close down to the lows around 156. So to me, the two biggest things, well, I'll give you three things, how the VIX trades, how the bond market trades, which actually rallied today, and how the Russell trades. All right. Well, two of the biggest gainers since Trump took office have been Boeing and Caterpillar, up 111 and 79 points, respectively, in the last year. But there's something in the charts that could be signaling a top. Chart master Carter Worth is at the plaza to break it all down. Hi, Carter. I mean, these are obviously high flyers. They're almost cult stocks. I mean, each uh, operates in a duopoly of sorts, Caterpillar with Komatsu, of course, and Boeing with Airbus. Let's look at a group chart of these two securities and then uh, work backwards. Caterpillar and Boeing, plotted equal weight as a single security. That's your blue line. Uh, 300 billion market cap, five-year chart relative to the S&P, and obviously you can see the spread. Um, maybe it's earned and desired. Let's go to a 10-year chart. You can see the spread. Correlation, and now this epic run. Let's pull it back even further. This is going back to 1980, all data, September of 1980. S&P, and what's happened of late. Now, granted, this is arithmetic, so let's look at a log chart to try to put this in context. Now, it's the same chart, going back to 1980, but I've done it nonlinear to try to put in context um, the preceding prices relative to current price. Here's what catches my eye. If I put in a channel, and remember, I didn't manipulate this. This is just a parallel lines. What we know, quite precisely, is the 1980 recession um, lows from Reagan, the 1999 high, the 2007 high, the 09 low, and for the first time, we've actually blown through the top of that channel. Um, my hunch is that we're going to fall back at a minimum uh, to the channel. How far are we? This is, again, those two securities plotted equal weight. Typically, you'll get a check back towards your 150 moving average. That's my bet. That would imply about a 10 to 15% sell-off here. And... Just to put this in context, from the low of February of 2016, we're up 200% on a two-year basis. More immediately, take a look at these statistics. Boeing and Caterpillar plotted equal weight, a three-month gain of 30%. The probability of that occurring is one-tenth of 1%. A six-month gain for these two securities, the probability of that occurring, 1980 to present, 
is 0.03. A one-year gain, a two-year gain, this is exceptional. So the question is, first, if you're long only, buy and hold. Do you trim? Sure. And if you're tactical, do you trim more or even get short on the bet that even if these triple from here, they're probably going to correct and perhaps in a meaningful way. Carter comes over. Oh, come on. Happy come on over, Carter. Karen will bring the chair in. Thank you very much, Thank Karen. You. That last full screen you had, just to clarify, it's not the combination of the two Dow stocks achieving those gains simultaneously, you, is yes, it? Yes, meaning it's if you took those two and made them one security, right, the 300 oh, billion, and looked at the history of that one security, 1980 to present, this is basically an instant rate that has only occurred one or two times in history. But doesn't the probability get greater if, if they're separated, if they're treated separately or no? Well, there's another way to look at it. So individually, uh -huh. right, the two stocks are the number one, number two performer in the S&P industrial sector on a three-month basis, six-month basis, and a two-year basis, with the exception of URI. Basically, if you go back and find any instances where they've both appreciated more than 75% in a 12-month period, it's exceedingly rare and usually gives way to a major giveback. So, Carter, if I look at this chart, the ones that you just brought up there, and I look at the chart, overlay over the S&P, it's pretty much right. So it's pretty much identical. So if you say that one turns or, or, or should check back, then the S&P checks back. So it's chicken or the egg for me. Well, I mean, you're, the long-term charts, no, they've diverged. But you're talking about the day-to-day -day chart yes. with the S&P? Yeah, but this is much steeper. The S&P is not up 60%. In the past six months. Right, because, because we're talking about 500 constituents. My right. point is, do you think if the S&P turns south, then these turn south as well, obviously to a different degree? I'm not sure there's cause and effect, but I would say these will probably go down more because they have higher beta and uh, the cyclical nature of it. These are stocks that have traded at eight times earnings in their past, and they're, they're not trading there. What does it say about their sectors and what you see for their sectors in the charts, especially well, Boeing? So that's right. We know that it, uh, it, well, these two are almost cult status, right? Because okay. you think of 3M, you don't quite think of that. You think of United Technologies, Honeywell, they have more competition. But um, the sector itself has not outperformed the market for the past 12 months, industrials, yes. Um, but in and of itself, it's as steep as you're going to find it in any rolling 12-month period. Uh, in terms of the overall charts, Carter, um, we're all talking about reversals. Uh, in today's session, well, what do you make of it? So, and you're talking about a very dated thing. You haven't been a trader. You are a trader. You trade and so forth. I mean, when you have a new high and then you close on the absolute low, the last time we saw that was August 8th, and that gave way to about a 3% sell-off. I would think if we do get a sell-off, this would be more like 5 to 6 in the sense that we're much steeper now than we were in August. Interesting. Did the VIX tell you anything today? We mentioned the VIX open higher, closed higher in the day. First time we've seen that in a quite some time. Is that a tell as well? And it all has the feeling of also there's this. Everybody's participating. Banks are on fire. Energy's on fire. Are you negative the consumer, in the market now? I'm always negative in the market. More so than before. <laughs> because the after today, after today, are you more negative? Oh, I think you have to assume this is an important intermediate top that gives you a normal garden variety give back, sell off, correction, dip. Something that put it this way: if you're bullish. You want a dip or a correction because that's what sets up the next advance. Sure. If you're bearish, you think the dip is the beginning of the nightmare. Did you say it closed on the low? I didn't think it closed on Which, the low today. We're talking about the no, market closing no, opens up high and you, closed on the low. When you reverse like that, and a lot of individual stocks like a oh, Caterpillar close in the bottom of the range. It didn't close on the absolute low. No. But are you in the camp where you you think that this or a pullback will be the setup for another advance? Or will be the well, start I mean, what of, I'm saying of bearishness? Is that even if you're bullish, you put it this way: Would you rather, if you're bullish, have it go up another ten? Or give back 10. Give back 10. Because then after resting, it can assert itself right. and go again. But if you put on another 10, at some point, you had give back more. right? So if you're bullish, you want a correction. If you're bearish, you want a correction because you think it's not a correction. It's the wipeout. 
All right, Carter, we're going to leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Carter Worth of Cornerstone. Tim, what did you do today? Uh, I actually was doing a little bit of hedging. I was actually taking an opportunity because, first of all, you have an expiry on Friday, which I, I think if we think the market is in a tough place for the rest of the week, whether it's the White House, whether it's just in a, a euphoric move, you know, playing short-term protection here is not a bad thing if it allows you to keep in positions. That's what I did. Although I did short a little IWM, uh, I do think a lot has happened there. Karen, you? Only thing I, I sold a little bit of Facebook, which really was only a very sp Facebook-specific story, thinking about it over the weekend. Just trimmed a little there. Otherwise, no, I'm hanging on to what I got. All right, coming up, General Electric getting slammed, having its worst day since November after the CEO says a breakup could be ahead. Is this the beginning of the end for this blue chip stock? Plus, don't look now, but Bitcoin crashing almost cut in half from recent highs, and a top strategist at Wells Fargo says it could mean trouble for stocks. Chris Harvey will be here to explain why. And later, four taking a hit after hours, the auto company releasing disappointing guidance moments ago. We'll bring you the very latest details right after this break. Much more Fast Money. Coming up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Ford reporting 2018 guidance moments ago. The stock is down in the up era session. Phil has got the story. Phil. And Melissa, this is disappointing guidance in the eyes of many people because Ford is looking at a, a profit next year that really is not going to be changing much from 2017, giving a range of $1.45 per share to $1.70 per share. That's a, and if you take the midpoint there, which is about a buck fifty-seven, not to say that they couldn't be a little higher than that, that's below the consensus right now at $1.62. Ford giving this guidance today at an analyst meeting here in Detroit, just within the last couple of hours. During that meeting, they outlined the fact that the company is still going to be making heavy investments as they try to transition away from cars into more trucks, SUVs, and autonomous drive vehicles, increasing the amount of money they're investing when it comes to autonomous drive vehicles from about $4 billion and electric vehicles as well, $4 billion up to $11 billion. So the combination of greater spending as well as this lackluster guidance and the fact that Ford, relative to their competitors, probably doesn't have the strength of the truck and the SUV portfolio has, frankly, given people a few jitters this afternoon as they give their guidance for 2018. Meanwhile, guys, you take a look at what this says relative to their competitors. Look at the outlook for 2018. Generally speaking, most automakers are saying, look, we expect strong profits, not a huge bump from 2017, but we do expect profitability to be up on a healthy basis. At the same time, uh, the companies are also outlining their plans for the future. What happens with NAFTA? Ford has already outlined its plans over the last year. General Motors says it's not changing its production plans until they know exactly what happens with NAFTA. And we saw what happened with Fiat Chrysler last week. And finally, there is the question in terms of trucks and SUVs. If you have new ones coming, and we know that the big three all do, but particularly GM and Fiat Chrysler are geared towards that market right now, that's where the strength of the profits are going to come from. In terms of total sales for 2018, Melissa, most believe that we will see a total market of about 16.7 or 16.8 million, million falling below the 17 million mark, though I should point out, more than a few executives have said, look, we think the tax changes could be a benefit to the market of anywhere from 100,000 to 200,000 units. And as a result, don't be surprised if you see vehicle sales in 2018 get up to close to 17 million vehicles. Two stocks to watch. First one being race. That's Ferrari. Today, Sergio Marchione, the CEO of Ferrari, said, you know what? We're going to build an electric car. If Tesla can do it, 
Hats off that they've done it and have done it well. We should be able to build a premium sports electric car, and they're planning on doing that. At the same time, Fiat Chrysler continues to move higher. Guys, back to you. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau from the Detroit Auto Show on Ford. Uh, the stock is down about 2% in the after-hour session. Compare this, contrast this with what Ford had said. It sounds almost... What GM had said? Well, I'm sorry, what GM said, exactly. It sounds almost kind of in line that 2018 would be as good as 2017. It's just, it's in the eye of the beholder and what you think of Ford's prospects versus GM's prospects in terms of how you interpret it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think Ford's prospects are not as rosy. And I right. think the fact that it seems like they may be chasing a little bit in terms of CapEx and what they're going to have to throw into autonomous. Um, but but what Phil pointed out is, is I, if anything, you expect EPS guidance to be a lot better based upon where at least they could see the front loading of some of this tax windfall to the consumer and the impact. Um, if you look at their December sales numbers, and everyone was blown away by the numbers we got uh, for November, sorry, for full year December on U.S. SARS, but Fords were probably weaker than GMs. And if you look, they had a higher amount of fleet sales. They had less profitable uh, components to the overall mix. GM is the one, and Ford is more expensive, too. It's not a question of relative value here. This is a fast pitch of yours. Yes, I agree. agree with GM is the one. I think they announced what were closer to a beat. They talked about the, meeting the higher end of the range, and also for next year's strength. For Ford, uh, you know, it's a little under. So, I mean, at this valuation, I think GM is much better. They seem to have momentum. Also, talked about trucks, how important trucks are. Yeah. GM is an enormous, enormous truck push. Still ahead, the casino stocks are soaring. Is it time to cash out of these high-flying names or double down? The traders will weigh in. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Breaking up is hard to do. It sure is, but a potential General Electric breakup may not add much value for GE shareholders. We'll explain. Plus, the crypto crush continues, with Bitcoin getting bashed again. And now, a top strategist says it could lead to selling in the stock market. He'll be here to explain why when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Continued threats of government regulation crippling the crypto market today. Cryptocurrency prices tanked after South Korean officials reiterated that a crackdown on trading was still possible. And this as China is also reportedly stepping up its own efforts to regulate the market. Bitcoin losing almost 20 percent since the debut of Bitcoin futures. We should know Bitcoin itself has been cut nearly in half. Cue the Bitcoin bug. Our next guest says beware. The crypto carnage could spill into U.S. markets. Chris Harvey is the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities, and he joins us here on set. Chris, great to see you. Great to see you, too. Thank um, you. What is a mechanism of transmission if institutional investors are not really invested in Bitcoin and there's hardly any leverage oh, in the Bitcoin well, market? I, I think it just becomes finance 101. What you have is a risk-on situation, and today we had a risk-off situation. The risk-on situation is equities are higher, crypto was higher, high yield was tighter. Today, what, what do we have? We had crypto sell-off. We had the equity market reverse, and we had high yield widen out. It, to us, it's really that simple. So do you think that the same invest, the, the investor in the cryptocurrency market is actually feeling the same things no. as the equity no. markets for, or for the us, high it's, yield market? It, it's everything is price relative. So if the, the crypto market or risk is not going to be well bid in the crypto market, it shouldn't be well bid in the equity market or in the credit markets as well. It should all be across. Now, we can argue about to what degree, what beta that is, and over what time period, but they should all be related. And that's what we're seeing today. Couldn't they be different investor groups, though? I mean, isn't that yeah, point? That's Melissa's what I don't point understand. is institutions aren't really playing crypto. They can't really play crypto. Right. Some of them are in. But retail frenzy so, in crypto. And, in fact, crypto started selling off a week ago. 
So if we talk, let's, let's take another example. Let's look at the race market. If rates go down, should dividend yield or bond proxies go higher? The answer is usually we see that. But the two don't usually invest together, mm -hmm. and it's something similar. Again, everything is price relative. Everything's a beta on everything else. And so when we look at it, what we saw was just risk off. And again, it's risk off across the board. It just doesn't happen in one spot. It's not in a vacuum. And so this was a bit of a spillover. And it's something that we have to be worried about and something we have to look forward to. It sounds sort of like a hunch on your part that this is happening. I mean, is there so, a real correlation between the two markets? So what, what do we see on, Dece on December 22nd? Uh -huh. We saw cryptocurrency sell off. We saw the equity market get a little bit soft. We saw within that, we saw technology sell off. And within technology, we saw semi sell off. Today, again, what did we see? If you ask around, and maybe Guy, you know, you, you ask around, you talk to people, what do they say? I, they didn't really point to any particular story. People say, well, it's technical. It's, well, it's this. It's, the market's tired. But what we do know is crypto did sell off. We do know that equity market did reverse. And we do know high yield did widen. And so us, this is what you should expect. So my question is, and we've talked about this, I don't know the answer, right. but is the euphoria of, of cryptocurrencies over the last month, is that somehow potentially emblematic of a equity market top or near-term so, top? Um, so people talk to us about euphoria and sentiment and so on and so forth. The biggest thing that we see is fear, and there's two types of fear. It's fear of missing out, and, it's, and people don't have a fear of the downside. So when we talk to clients, they don't want to de-risk. They don't want to raise cash. They don't want to miss out. That FOMO, the fear of missing out, is very palatable. The second thing is we haven't seen the downside. So people forget that there actually is downside. What I think we're seeing is a repricing of risk, a healthy repricing of risk. What we've seen up until now, we've seen equity markets, equity markets move higher, vol move higher. And we think that's healthy. What we're starting to see is central banks start to pull back. Now what we're seeing is equity markets, fixed income markets have to stand on, on their own and fundamentals are starting to take place. And to us, this is all part of the process and this is a healthy process. A crypto sell-off and a market softening, is that simply though, I mean, couldn't it just simply be coincident as opposed to it, it being a correlation? It, it can be. And I mean, so do we have we're enough data to points to actually say, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm really worried about an implosion in cryptocurrency market affecting the equity markets because I don't feel like the investors are the same or they're driven by the no, same no. intentions. They're, they're, they're not the same. But again, uh -huh. if you have risk priced in one part of the marketplace very aggressively, you should have risk priced very aggressively in other parts of the marketplace. What do we see year to date? Returns to risk factors very, very strong. So, again, what we're going to do is we don't want to put our head in the sand and say we're going to avoid the whole situation. It's really nothing. What we want to do is we want to better understand what's going on, the size of the market, the liquidity of the market. And what we're seeing as it grows, it becomes a bigger and bigger liability. We can debate. Again, we can debate about the beta. We can debate about the length. But really, there is an influence. Now, now the question is we'll watch it going forward and we'll see if it was just an accident or if there is a really big connection. So you wake up in the morning, you're an equity strategist, before you get on the phone with your clients on the horn, talking to them, right. what do you look at? I mean, are you looking at yields? Are you also looking right. at cryptocurrencies and what we're, they're telling you? We are looking at everything. We're looking at yields. We're looking at the shape of the yield curve. We're looking at the credit markets. We're looking at earnings. We're looking at commentary. And you're looking at Ethereum. We're, we're looking at the cryptocurrency market and how it's trading. Okay. okay. Is there a correlation? Is there a connection? Is it rolling so we don't over? don't know yet, What's, is what you're saying. No, no, you I can't. Can, not, can I guarantee it? No, I cannot guarantee it. But you're not it. saying that the market rally, I mean, if there's a Bitcoin or a crypto implosion, that the markets will then go down or feel the impact? Because well, we don't we, know. No, no, we, we don't know. But yeah. we would expect that to occur. Right. And today that did occur. We'll watch it going forward. And so we don't think it's a, 
we think there's something to this. And so it's important for our clients to understand, and we don't want our clients to wake up one day and realize, hey, my portfolio is more correlated to the crypto markets than I thought. Mm -hmm. That's a very difficult conversation. That's a very difficult thing to occur. So we're going, to, it's a very fluid situation. We're watching it. We don't want to overstate it, but we don't want to put our head in the sand. And we think it's important to understand it more and more as we go forward because it is a fairly big liability. Got it. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. What do you think? So, so I get what Chris is talking about as far as risk on, risk off, mm -hmm. but you, you talked about correlation versus causation. I think you have to treat everything as it's an individual entity. I don't think that Bitcoin will take the overall market down, but I get the risk appetite element to it. Tim? I think there's total correlation to Bitcoin on the way up. Uh, I think on the way down, no. I don't think there has to be. Uh, in other words, uh, I think you have a lot of weak hands in Bitcoin right now, and I think that the guys that came in late in the, in the game and the people that are, are, are stepping out, there are people that have been advocates and players the whole way, which I think will probably hold in here, but I think a lot of people had the FOMO, and right. those are the people that are selling. On Look at that bug. What? Where? Under 10,000 oh, on the sorry. Bitcoin. I thought you meant like a No, 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 mosquito. not like why. Oh, sorry about No, that. the Bitcoin bug. So Bitcoin itself broke 10,000. The futures contract also, as you would imagine, below 10,000. Should we be worried in tomorrow's session about this reversal taking new steam and in terms of, in, in terms of because of cryptocurrencies yes. for the equities. Yes, yes. Karen made equities, that point on equities, our phone and she might be spot on. Here. I would push back and say, I think Tim is saying this as well, I don't think crypto is big enough to be systemic for the equity market, in my opinion. We do, I mean, crypto, looking at just the top handful, top five, lost $100 billion today-ish. The top five currencies. The yeah. top five, Coins. right, yeah. out of, you know, hundreds. I, I do think there's something to it. I mean, I think there are there are a, a few different holder bases of cryptocurrencies. I'm one of them. I have a lot of equity exposure, and I have a very small amount of crypto exposure. Seeing this and, decline, does that make you want to pull in your horns, though, on the equity portfolio? Uh, no, not for me. But I'm not a tr you know. I'm just right. looking to be there for the long term. But I but I think I may be unusual in that. And so I do think there's going to be a correlation here, and you know that's okay. It's. There's a lot of volatility in crypto, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think we will see some. That's, I think, what I think that was the main driver today, actually. Interesting. Hmm. We shall see. Mm -hmm. We shall see. So ahead, as the Dow soars to new heights, its oldest component, General Electric, is tanking. Could be on the verge of a breakup. What will that mean for shareholders? We will explain. Plus, casino stocks hitting fresh 52-week highs today. These have been some of the hottest trades over the last year. We'll tell you if the traders are buying this move. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Breakups. Are never any fun. And talks of a split at GE sent the stock tumbling today. Morgan Brennan's in the newsroom with more on that developing story. Morgan. Hey, that's right, Melissa. GE announcing today it will take a $6.2 billion charge for its legacy insurance portfolio and saying it will set aside $15 billion to boost reserves for GE Capital over the next seven years. But the biggest news of the day on a call with analyst, CEO, and Chairman John Flannery saying he is seriously considering a breakup of the blue chip company. As I look at the company and continue to uh, evolve the, the, along this continuum, I believe there could be different structures that can achieve all of those objectives um, and that we need to examine those. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I would categorize it as an examination of options. Um, and it's the kind of thing that could result in, you know, uh, many, many different permutations, including separately traded assets really in, in any one of our units, if that's what made sense. 
While Flannery has stressed every option is on the table, he's done that before, those comments mark the first time he has explicitly said that GE, including its core industrial businesses, power, aviation, and healthcare, could be spun out into separately traded assets. Now, Flannery also saying that the, quote, real core approach here is to make sure that these businesses can flourish in the decades ahead. All that said, a breakup has not been fully decided. Those sources do tell CNBC's David Faber that the company is likely seen as embracing the idea. An update on this is likely in the spring. Meantime, Q4 earnings come next Wednesday. The stock falling 3% today because analysts say that with all the liabilities on GE's balance sheet and, of course, those new charges announced today, a breakup right now could signal that things have the potential to get worse, not better if they were to do that right now. Back over to you. All right, thank you very much, Morgan Brennan. Um, Tim Seymour, I go to you. You bought GE, you did your own sum of the parts analysis. Does your view of the sum of the parts, or the view of the parts change based on the news today? What, what changes potentially today is the uncertainty around the GE capital and the insurance liabilities and what reserves will have to be. That's what this was all about. And when they start saying this and Flannery starts talking about, you know, it's, it sounded very wishy-washy to me also. Like, eh, we may just start to have to sell off businesses. But, but G's done very poorly uh, in the past on, on identifying and having a vision on GE Capital's responsibility to the overall structure. They've, they've been terrible. Um, it's one of the reasons why they're ultimately going to be, you know, they took this book down and selling it off. So today does not make me feel good. Um, the sum of the parts, I think, is still interesting. When you start talking this way, I also think, though, that Baker Hughes is worth a lot more now than it was three months ago. And, and I think some of these power assets are very attractive. You know what this reminds me of, Guy? And mm. I know you remember this very well. When John Civil Flannery, <laughs> <laughs> besides that, more recently in history, <laughs> when John Flannery gave his interview with David Faber, then they had an investor day meeting. And it seemed like the news was very uneven. And so investors are of a certain mindset. They get their head around that news. And then something else comes out. Something else crops Some, up. Yeah. And I feel like, like earnings is coming up. Today. And then the springtime update is going to come out. You know, it's been a series of these. You could probably point to four at least over the last six to nine months. And I think to Tim's point, it doesn't make Tim as a holder of the stock feel any better. Listen, I look at it the following way. Some of the parts, maybe it's worth more than 18 bucks. I don't know. I will tell you that GE Aviation is an incredible business, as is healthcare, And Baker Hughes probably is more worth more now than it was three months ago. But what are you paying for a company that has basically no earnings growth in an yeah. environment where they should be crushing it? So I go back again. I still think at current valuation, GE is expensive at an $18 stock. I mean, healthcare and aviation should be knocking it out of the park, in theory, on paper, based on what some of the don't peers you think are doing. Though, that the, know they don't, though. I mean, don't you think, though, that he's just be. doing a, a public trial balloon effort here? I think he's trying to be very forthcoming. I think he's trying to be very honest. I think he is honest. I'm not trying to be honest. But the fact that the stock didn't pop, I don't think that the CEO is convinced at what he wants to do with the company, nor, nor, nor should the investors be. So I think the price action today was very telling in the name that it did not pop. But a CEO coming out and saying, uh, not definitively, hey, we've looked at our businesses and these two look very interesting, or at least in the last six weeks since I've talked to you, we've got three concrete conclusions we want to draw, and they are the following. We didn't get that today. Right. We got a guy saying in a new tax environment where these guys have to put more reserves back, he's almost warning people that things are not what they said they were. And then what also comes to mind is Cowan's report that was issued back in November when things probably looked a little bit better than they do today, saying some of the parts is 11 to $15, according to their analysis, mm. which is 
it could be very much below where it's trading right now. To me, it was the first part, the, the charges. What, uh, you know, that made me feel like, wow, did they not have, quite have a handle? Did this come up as a surprise? And that sort of feeling, wow, wouldn't, haven't they supposed to have been digging through everything right. for the last several months, and this just came up now? I, that's the part that makes me think, all right, well, now, now maybe we've got to dig in deeper in everything else and see what, what do we really have here? What should Another we, do, what should we spin? Potentially. Yeah. All right, well, despite the sell-off, some options traders are betting on a rebound for GE. Let's get to Mike Coe out of Austin, Texas, to break it down. What would you see, Mike? Yeah, so we did see over two times the average daily options volume in GE today, and the most active option was the January 18-and-a-half calls. Now, those expire this coming Friday. About 25,000 of those traded for about 12 cents, so these were traders that were making inexpensive bets. The GE would recover the losses that they had today by the end of the week. But I would also add that implied volatility, that is the price of options, is very close to the one-year high now. So options traders making bets in both directions are expecting it to be a pretty bumpy ride. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe out in Austin, Texas. And for more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, the Bitcoin roller coaster ride continues. It briefly dipped below 10000 uh, earlier this hour, then surged more than $600 in a matter of minutes. But there's a new catalyst in the crypto market that could put a stop to all this crazy volatility. We will explain much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Is the next catalyst for Bitcoin about to hit the market? Maybe so. Blockchain ETFs are beginning to bubble up. Our Bob Bassani is live at the New York Stock Exchange with the details. Hey, Bob. Yes and no, Melissa. So there was a huge backlog of Bitcoin-themed ETFs and registration, but they've disappeared. Now, there are two new blockchain-themed ETFs beginning trading tomorrow. But remember, these ETFs are not investing in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. They're focused on companies that will most likely benefit from the blockchain phenomenon. So, for example, investors are clamoring for some way to invest in the blockchain, but there haven't been any opportunities. So there are very few publicly traded companies that have substantial revenues in blockchain. That's been a big problem. So, for example, the Reality Shares Next Gen Economy ETF, that's what's trading tomorrow. That's going to invest in companies like SAP and Overstock and Hitachi and Accenture. But blockchain's not the primary business of any of those companies, so it's unlikely they're going to have a big impact on Bitcoin volumes or on volatility. Still, investors will have to make do for the moment since at least five ETF companies have withdrawn their Bitcoin-related ETFs in just the last couple weeks, including VanEck, ProShares, First Trust, Direction, and exchange-listed Funds Trust. Now, these ETFs would have owned Bitcoin outright or Bitcoin futures, and several companies like ProShares and First Trust had several Bitcoin ETFs long and short plays on Bitcoin. But the firm said the filings were withdrawn at the request of the SEC. So remember in September, Melissa, the SES, the SEC asked several of these firms to withdraw their applications until Bitcoin futures had started. Well, after the futures started trading, they resubmitted their applications. Now they're asking them to withdraw it again. So it seems like the goal is changing here. But the theme seems to be right now the SEC is concerned about liquidity and about valuation. In other words, even with futures contracts, the SEC is is worried about the big price swings and the volume of trading. And we saw that today. See where we're ending out here 
with Bitcoin. Melissa, back to you. I think you should do all your reports with music behind you, Bob. It really adds <laughs> it's content. Like, it's yeah, like 1985 it's, it's, in here. It's like we're at the limelight like downtown a, or something. <laughs> wow. What a reference. I just, who knows? I just dated myself. I, right? I, I withdraw <laughs> that statement. I, I withdraw that. <laughs> it's already done. Bob, thanks. Okay. Bob Bisani at the NYSC. Our next guest is no stranger to the ETF space as he has helped launch and develop more than 60 of them. His blockchain ETF, the first of its kind, is set to launch tomorrow. Let's welcome Christian Magoon, the founder and CEO of Amplify ETFs. Christian, great to have you with us. Um, and just to put a distinction on this, this is the first actively managed ETF. There is a passively managed ETF that will also launch tomorrow, but we're talking right now about the actively managed one. The thing that strikes me, Christian, about this is that, you know, when I first heard this, I thought, how can that be? There aren't really many blockchain companies out there. When I took a look at the list of your top holdings, um, we can maybe put a full screen up of them. Blockchain is not the primary driver of any of these companies for the most part. So why launch an ETF now? Well, we think the blockchain technology is going to transform kind of the leaders in investment and research into that technology. So, Melissa, we're trying to skate where the puck uh, is going to be in the future. So we're looking at that uh, investment and research as leading indicators of who's going to win that disruptive race, much like investing in the early days of Internet technology would have led you to companies like Amazon. Right. I mean, you got Citigroup up there, and I get that a company, a financial services company, will be using blockchain in the future. But, I mean, to use your analogy, I don't know, it would sort of be like investing in, um, you know, an underwriter ahead of the Internet boom. I mean, I don't really get the direct correlation there. I mean, Citi, you're going to take a look at it, and it's going to trade on, reven on trading revenues and this and that and, and not blockchain or its investments in blockchain. Well, I disagree with you in the sense that Citigroup is one of the five largest investors in blockchain technology in the world. If and when they monetize some of that investment and make that announcement, whether it's a business line, a spinoff, an IPO, I think they will monetize and you'll see it in their stock price. So uh, we think that getting in early uh, in these companies, granted, it's not as pure as we'd like, but we've taken an active approach to adjust the investment strategy and the universe of companies as the industry matures. We think this is a better idea than buying maybe a privately uh, offered security that's working on blockchain or making a bet on one or two companies. We think the diversification makes sense. How much due diligence do you do, does your team do at Amplify to make sure that this is not a company that's simply sticking blockchain in their mission statement or blockchain on their name? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, it's one of the reasons we didn't want to go with an index. We think index rules can be fooled, and you can see some of these uh, blockchain companies in name only. Uh, we have qualification standards, and then there's a portfolio management team that is looking at the news, looking at the company business plan as it relates to blockchain, so we don't get caught in those traps. Again, that's why we think actively managed is the responsible way in the ETF space to invest in blockchain. But within the qualifications, it's not a percentage of revenues derived from blockchain technology or percent of revenues derived from, from the use of blockchain as a savings or anything like that. I mean, no, there's, a, there's, a really... bit of quali I mean there's just a little bit of a qualitative assessment of whether or not these companies should be considered blockchain companies. Yeah, it's really a relative comparison. So we're investing in the leading companies in terms of research and development, in terms of public and private investment, and in terms of current revenue coming in. So uh, these are the leaders in those categories. Again, we think that's a leading indicator of, of the companies that are going to monetize blockchain going into the future. But right now, there isn't a, a basic 50 or 70 percent revenue hurdle that a company has to meet. The industry and the technology is just too young.
All right, Christian, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Christian Magoon, that ETF will be BLOK, uh, starts trading tomorrow. Actively traded um, ETF. What do you think? So, so I own two of those names. I own yeah. Square and I own Overstock. And I could see Overstock being the play on blockchain. But I think the big problem for Chris and this ETF is that I don't think people differentiate between the coins and the actual technology. So it could be a headwind, even though I do believe that blockchain is not going away. A lot of these coins could be flavor of the month. Well, to be clear, I mean, Christian knows a lot about ETFs. He's yeah. been in the space a long time, and I, I'm sure if they put this together, they've done it with a level of transparency. I think ultimately that's what this comes down to. Investors are trying to extrapolate who's going to be a player tomorrow. We have seen what's going on with Square Stock. Whether, you know, it would be good, though, for these guys to be able to say, the blended average revenue these guys are getting across the space is, is 11% or something. Um, because I think it's important to have hard data to really determine who's in that space. Um, but ultimately, that's where investors want to figure out who's doing the most. Would you be interested in buying this ETF? Me personally? Mm. No. I think to Steve's point, I, mean, if you, I think you own Overstock is the proxy name. I mean, Steve's been spot on. This thing went from 25 to 90. It's trading 70 now. If you're looking for the beta play, OSTK is probably the way to do it, as Steve has said for quite some time. Up next, final trade. Welcome back to Fast. We asked you guys on Twitter, how are you trading the Bitcoin bloodbath? 47% said you're buying the dip. So cue the music. <laughs> I guess you guys are having the time mm. of your life. Wow. <laughs> time for they, they the final trade. Like one for one. <laughs> Tim. We talked about U.S. banks. European banks are cheaper. UBS price intangible book, very attractive. Karen. Also outside of the United States. EEM. And kudos to Guy on Juno. Mm. Good work. So. UNH. Great chart. Great performance year to date. Take a look at it. I think Ford's guidance points out what Karen and Tim have said about General Motors, GM. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.